Um, I am excited to, to be here today and to share with you today as we continue on. I hope you listen while I shout and cry and pout and stomp. But today we're going to um, finish out our series on growing up Jesus. And I want to start with a story that isn't mine. Um, and it's not about Jesus either. But it's about what Jesus is doing through people like us. And so here, this is a hard quiz. But does anybody know who this is? Tom Brady. It's not Tom Brady. But here's a hint. See if this hint helps anybody. Four teams. Yeah, Anquan Bolden, right? This is Anquan Bolden. If you don't know, Anquan Bolden is a Super Bowl winning wide receiver. He played for the Baltimore Ravens when he won the Super Bowl. And in 2015, he got the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award for his service. And Anquan was born in Pahokee, Florida, on the shining shores of Lake Okeechobee. And Pahokee was, it still is, it's a hard town. Most local industries have long since closed their doors, and Pahokee has officially been in a state of financial emergency since 1984. 95% of Pahokee students are classified as being from low-income families. Even attempts to revitalize the town have failed over the years. They built a flashy, new, modern marina back in 2005, trying to revitalize their town, only to see Hurricane Wilma come in immediately and destroy it. Over the years, there have even been attempts in town to just dissolve the municipality, like make it no longer a town. It seems like you wouldn't blame people for thinking, even God has given up on our town. Why shouldn't we? But there are bright spots, and football is definitely one of the bright spots in Pahokee. For example, in the year 2014 alone, five former high school students from Pahokee were in the NFL. Five. That's insane. That's amazing, especially considering there are only 850 students in the combined junior and senior high school to have five kids in the NFL at one time. Well, Anquan Bolden was one of those players. He was drafted by the Cardinals, Arizona, in 20, 2003. And he said, in my first year, man, I was living it up. I was enjoying life, living large, soaking up the dream. But Anquan also had a deep faith. And his faith in God brought him back to living for Christ and for not himself. He says, I realized my purpose in life was not to make it to the NFL and score touchdowns. He did that a lot, though. He said, God put me on this earth for something much bigger than that. And I realized and understand what my purpose is now. It's my prayer and my hope that I can live out the rest of my life honoring God and help as many people as possible. And he has. He founded the Q81 Foundation in 2004 with the purpose of, quote, expanding the educational and life opportunities of underprivileged children. And one of the Q81's flagship programs is actually back in Anquan's hometown of Pahokee. Every summer, that organization runs a summer enrichment program designed for high school students who are struggling. And so over the course of eight weeks, these students get the support they need to get back on track academically, 
and hopefully begin to see new opportunities for themselves and for their future. I love this story. And to hear him tell it is amazing. And the scriptures that just he finds as his life verses. And it's a beautiful reminder, though, of how God works through us. God works through you to bring hope and a future to others. And it's a reminder that sometimes God calls us back to our hometowns, right? To bring hope and a future to our friends, to our neighbors, the people who raised us and the people who are rising up after us. Kind of inspiring, right? That we might have an impact like that. And I can't help but think it's probably what Jesus' friends and neighbors were expecting. It's probably what the people who raised them, the young people coming after Jesus, were expecting when Jesus walked back into town and preached at the synagogue. Only it's not what they got. <laughs> Jesus didn't do that. In fact, Jesus kind of did the opposite of what Anquan Bolden did. And so this is Luke 4, 21 through 30. We're picking up literally right where we left off. Jesus began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You remember that, right? All spoke well of him. Everyone in the synagogue, they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, is this not Joseph's son? Then Jesus said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And Jesus said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a severe famine all over the land, yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they, the people in the synagogue, when they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, they drove Jesus out of town and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and he went on his way. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Spirit of life, God of love, open our hearts and enter in. May we hear from you today. Speak a word to each of us, breathing love into us, that we might become your love for our neighbors. In your name we pray, amen. So, if you remember from last week, Jesus had been teaching in the synagogue in Nazareth. He's become famous for the work he was doing around Galilee. And so Jesus came home to Nazareth, kind of like Anquan Bolden came home to Pahokee. And Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah, declaring good news for the poor, recovery of sight for the blind, freedom from oppression, the chains that bind us are broken forever. And then he sits down 
And he teaches those nine words. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Then the mic, right, drops. Good news, the blind shall see the oppression. Chains are gone. And when? Today. Today. Some people were listening like the rabbit. Always today. And the crowd goes wild. Like literally, everyone, speak, everyone speaking well of Jesus. They were all amazed. Thaumazo is the Greek word. Amazed, marveling, wondering at what Jesus had said. Amazed at the words of grace we read that Jesus spoke, the charis that came from Jesus' mouth, the grace. I'm sure it was hard to believe that anything this good could come from Nazareth, right? That this could be Jesus, like our Jesus, but it is. This is Joseph's son. Like I always picture some dude being like, I went to shul with that guy. Him, that's Jesus. You know, I know him. He was on the football team. You remember that Hail Mary against Cana? That's him. And here he is, home, bringing the good news. And now the things that Jesus has been doing around Galilee, the things we've been hearing about, he's going to do that here. Only. Instead, Jesus quotes this weird proverb. Doctor, heal yourself, cure yourself. Because a sick doctor isn't much good to other sick people, right? You got to help yourself before you help others. I mean, if you've flown, you've heard it, right? In case of a cabin pressure emergency, put on whose mask? Your own mask first (laughs) before assisting others. Jesus knows what they're thinking. Right? Do all the things here that you did in Capernaum. Teach us. Heal us. Save us. I'm like, who wouldn't want to be the hometown hero? The savior of your town, right? Am I the only one who's ever had like the twinge of the Messiah complex? Yes? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I mean, I'll be honest. I told a little bit last time about how I'd gone home to preach um, in my hometown. And, And not too long after... I got home, the, the church I grew up in kind of hit a rough patch. Uh, rough patch. There was some division in the congregation. It's the kind of division in the church world, like it's really political differences, but we like to pretend it's theological, right, just to feel better about ourselves. And so they left their denomination, and then the people left the congregation. And then the pastor left, and another pastor, and another pastor. And for a moment... My mind went there. You know, I could do it. I could go back to my hometown. I could step into the pulpit. I could begin preaching the good news. I could set this oppressed people free. I could help them see the light of God. Once again, the people that had shown me the light. And the pews would fill. We'd be storing up treasures. Sunday school would be hopping. The preschool would be thriving. I'd be reading the rabbit listen like on the daily to kids that were just everywhere. And there would be a fifth generation of Cassidy's in town again. I mean, Logansport isn't Logansport without a Cassidy in town. <laughs> People would be amazed at the caris coming out of my mouth. And they'd say, like, isn't that Dick's son? Isn't that Carolyn's son? I went to school with that guy. Remember in the YMCA when he caught the pass with his face and he got a black eye? 
I wonder if Jesus had those thoughts. I mean, not, not basketball thoughts, but like hometown thoughts. I mean, he was looking out at people he loved. Don't forget that. People who loved him, who raised him. How could he not want to work miracles for those closest to him? How could he not want to heal David's leg crushed by an ox last year? Or bring hope to Rebecca, 28 years old, still childless. I mean, he was Joseph's son, and these were Joseph's people, his people. But Jesus is also God's son, and all God's people need saving. All God's people across Galilee, across Judea, across the globe. God's people across time needed saving. You know, for me, God, God wasn't calling me back to my hometown. Nostalgia and a, a periodically overinflated ego might have been calling. But God wasn't. And Christ's father wasn't calling him to heal his hometown. And that, I think, had to be hard for Jesus. To look at family and friends and say to them, the things that you've heard that I've been doing, yeah, I'm not going to do that here. Not for you. Not now, anyway. I think moving on from a town or a place or a, a people you love and, and who love you can be hard. And I imagine it was hard even for Jesus. I mean, could you imagine Anquan Bolden going back to Pahokee and saying to his friends, his family, like, I'm going to start scholarships. I'm going to start this education program. We're going to raise these children up. Well, not these children. The children across the lake in that town over there. You know our rivals. Yeah, I'm going to go do the work over. That would not go over well <laughs> in Pahokee. Well, it was worse with Jesus because Jesus reminds his neighbors, his friends, his family of the prophet Elijah. And how Elijah provided food for a widow and her son and then raised her son from the dead. And the people in the synagogue that day, like these were the faithful, they would have known that story. They would have known that the widow and her son were outsiders. That they would never have stepped foot in a synagogue. That they didn't worship the God of Israel. That they were from Zarephath in Sidon, like the heartland of Baal country. She and her son worshipped other gods. But Elijah went to her, raised her son. Jesus reminded them of Elisha, Elijah's successor. Leprosy was a widespread disease in Israel, but the one Elisha healed was not from Israel. No, Elisha cured Naaman, the Syrian king of Aram, Israel's enemy. Think about that. Like not only does Jesus say he's not going to work wonders in his hometown, but he starts telling prophets stories about prophets who healed the enemy, raised the enemy's children from the dead. Man, it's no wonder they got mad. It's no wonder they got mad enough to chase Jesus off a cliff. Not only are you not healing your closest friends and neighbors, but you're going to heal the enemy? When they heard this, we read, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, they drove him out of town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off a cliff. You remember last week how we talked about, you know, in the book of John, we read that, that Jesus' first miracle was the wedding at Cana, turning water into wine. 
And we read last week how Jesus' first act of public ministry in the Gospel of Luke is, is not a miracle, right? He just read from Scripture. Well, this is his miracle. Because as they're gathered around him, trying to threaten him to push him off the cliff, the mobs of angry people are surrounding him. Jesus passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Like they turned on Jesus. They all knew him. He was Joseph's son. They had marveled at him, and now they were after him. So how could they miss him? Like how could they miss Jesus? How could he pass through them? without them grabbing hold of him. How could Jesus just walk away? It would take a miracle. It would take the Son of God. The hour had come, and it was time to move on. Move on. And and that's where I got stuck this week. Because, and I know this sounds weird, and I'm sure with the Chiefs and the football and all, I've just got too much football on my brain, but I couldn't help but feel like what Anquad Bolden did in his hometown felt a lot more like what something Jesus would do than the thing that Jesus did (laughs) in his hometown. You know what I mean? Am I the only one who sees, like, I'm not saying out Anquan Bolden, out Jesus, Jesus. Like, he wasn't even the best wide receiver on the Cardinals. That was my boy Larry. But what was Jesus doing? Like, why was he so cold to his hometown? Like, what did they ever do to him? Raised him. Right? Why would he do nothing? And then I realized, well, wait a minute. Like most of us, right? I start like, like a kid on Christmas that gives all the presents in the world, and I'm upset about the one I didn't get. <laughs> You know, I'm focusing on what Nazareth didn't have. Like, but think what they got. They got Jesus for like 30 years. The whole rest of the world got him for how many? Three. The Messiah was in their midst for 30 years. And they were the first to hear the good news. They were first. I mean, others had heard Jesus teach, but they got to hear the nine words. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. They got to hear Jesus give his mission statement to the world. They got to hear Jesus preach the good news the first time Jesus preached the good news. This is the year of the Lord's favor. The Messiah has arrived. The kingdom is coming. And there will be a day when there is no more sickness, no more pain, no more weeping, no more mourning, no death, no war. They got to know that and experience that. And if they'd only believed that, Things might have gone differently. But the problem was that Nazareth, like so many of us, they wanted it all right then and there. And they wanted it all for themselves. Anyone else ever have that problem? I do. Like, I want the kingdom right now. Like, God, why do I got to wait? Right? There's a whole lot of not kingdom stuff happening in my life. Could I just have the kingdom now? And, and while you're at it, could I just, just have it for me? Because my neighbor is really grumpy. And I don't think he deserves the kingdom. So just in my house, it would be all right with me. 
Think about sometimes like how we lock up Jesus' message in our sanctuary, like we're afraid it's going to slip out, right? So we hear the good news on a weekend, and then we leave it in here and shut the doors so we don't lose it, <laughs> and nobody else gets it. Lock it up in the church. When Jesus came to proclaim it to the world, how often, I know I do, I like to linger in the good news in all its metaphorical glory. And sometimes I forget that Jesus might have meant it literally too. Like, I, I, I'm not poor. I've never been to prison, almost, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> I'm not blind, almost, <laughs> but, but not all the way. I'm blessed with insurance and nice people so that I can see. And I'm about as unoppressed as they come. Like, I'm a middle-class, Anglo-Saxon, white, Protestant, cisgender, whatever you want to do, right? (laughs) I'm unoppressed. (laughs) And and I'm going to call it, like, as I look around this room, I see a lot of similar (laughs) people. And I know that Jesus' words are metaphorical, like we all are oppressed in some ways. We're poor in spirit in some ways. We're blind to the grace of God at some times. We're imprisoned metaphorically by different things. But if we just sit in our sanctuary and think Jesus was just speaking in metaphor when he said good news to the poor and never take his words literally, aren't we just like Nazareth, wanting Jesus for ourselves? And denying the literal power of his words. Because you know what Jesus did after this day? He went out and literally healed the blind. Literally brought good news to the poor. Literally set the prisoner, the garrison demoniac in chains. He set him what? Free. Jesus took his words and Isaiah's words literally. Or sometimes we devise a litmus test for who's in and who's out with Jesus. Like, have you been saved? Have you been born again? Have you been baptized by this? Can you speak in tongues? Have you taken the right class? Have you married the right person? Have you said the right words? Did you make the right choices? Because Jesus, and then we start to decide like who Jesus loves and who Jesus doesn't love. Who deserves forgiveness and who I think does not deserve. And there are some people I think don't deserve. (laughs) Who's going to the kingdom and who isn't. And when we start doing that, aren't we acting like Nazareth? (laughs) Keeping Jesus to ourselves. Because we don't want him going across the lake. Not those people. Just keep you in here with us. And when we start acting like the people in Nazareth, when we start trying to keep Jesus to ourselves, when we keep try to keep Jesus just in our sanctuary, in our midst, like, don't we risk Jesus just passing through our midst, walking out our doors and, and going on his way without us? Amen. Amen.